The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm so glad you could join me today for the show. Broadcasting live from the spacious Diane Ray Studios here in San Diego, California, <laughs> in my uh, fabulous home office situation here. I'm glad you guys could join me. Strange times we're in, right? I mean, what else can happen? Godzilla approaching, you know, dealing with COVID-19, all of the unrest and the anger and, and the hurt feelings and everything that's going on around us in the news regarding George, George Floyd, uh, the horrible event that happened with him. I mean, we're just, we're really dealing with a lot of, you know, anger and, and feelings and sadness and emotion. And that's why I'm so glad we have my guest today. I mean, he's here at just the right time and I'm really happy to welcome him. And I love sharing the wisdom of new teachers. Um, I had not heard of Matt Kahn before, and I'm really glad to welcome him to the show. Matt is a spiritual teacher, and he's a highly attuned empathic healer. And if you're a fan of his, I'm sure you've seen some of his videos on YouTube. He has over 16 million YouTube channel viewers. That's pretty incredible. And he's also a best-selling author. His books include Whatever Arises, Love That!, such a great title. The book that I've been spending some time with this week called Everything is Here to Help You. And he also has a new one that was just released called The Universe Always Has a Plan. And you can get that one now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or your local booksellers. So today, though, we're going to spend a little time with Everything is Here to Help You, Finding the Gifts in Life's Greatest Challenges. Just so perfect for what we're dealing with right now. So I'm really happy to welcome Matt to the show and introduce him to the Unity Online Radio crowd. And you know, Matt, our paths, uh, well, we missed, I was gonna say our paths crossed at Hay House, um, but I had just left the company right before you came on board. So I'm, uh, I'm disappointed in the timing of that because I, I would have loved to have worked with you. But I would love if you could introduce yourself a little bit and tell the Unity people about your work. And, you know, you've been working in the spiritual world for a long time. You're a longtime seeker yourself. And I was reading on your website that you had an early awakening at age eight and you experienced an out of body experience. You've always been intuitive and you've had experiences with ascended masters and angels when you were young. I just think that's so fascinating because I've, I've had not experiences like that, but uh, I think that, you know, things happen when we're young and sometimes we, uh, you know, we hide them or sweep them under the rug or something like that, you know, interesting experiences. So could you, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that and, and how you came to be the teacher you are today? Well, absolutely. And, and again, what an honor to be here with everyone uh, during this most extraordinary time and, and during this most uncertain time. <clears throat> when I was eight years old, I had an out-of-body experience where, and again, I didn't know this at the time, but looking back over my life, I had experienced uh, entering heaven. And in that heavenly realm, I had met a Christ-like figure 
that, you know, in my being raised as a Jewish kid, I didn't know who Jesus was. And then the day after my profound experience, I was in my friend's living room and I saw a painting of Jesus and I said, that's who I met in my dream. And my friend was so kind of, you know, up in arms about, I couldn't have met Jesus. That's not allowed. And um, I didn't know what any of the big deal was, to be honest. I just knew that there was a loving force embodying this being. And this was who I met when I was in the experience of the garden. But it was a garden that in, that exists in heaven. And ever since that heavenly experience, I've been attuned to my empathic abilities to be able to feel other people's experiences. And of course, from a very early age, it's very confusing when you cannot separate your experiences from others. And so I often interpreted other people's pain with their family as being their their low opinion of me. And so I spent a lot of years in very codependent cycles, thinking that as long as other people are happy, they approve of me. And while this was very painful, and it certainly matches and mirrors many experiences that perhaps listeners of this show are experiencing and have experienced. It was <clears throat> truly the most fertile training ground. And if I look back at my life since the age of eight, I've been trained to do what I do. And the beginning of my career for 15 years, it was being an empathic healer and serving the lives of so many sensitive souls and light workers. And it was preparing all of us for this moment of global ascension. And now here we are in these times, in the actual moment where ascension is unfolding, and I serve the world and play the role as a energetic first responder, that whether it's global unrest or protests or things that are going on in people's lives, it is my joy and my responsibility and my honor to hold space and to use my healing abilities, not just on one person, but I've been taught how to literally see the world as one soul and to work on that one group soul so to assist humanity in the healing that is so dire at this moment that is for sure we definitely need you now more than ever and i'm curious though in your kind of you know coming of age or, or coming to recognize the abilities and the gifts you had who was the teacher you know there's always someone that helps us along the way or helps us to understand things that are going on in our lives, um, because I'm sure at such a young age, you know, when you have that kind of experience, um, I mean, I remember having an experience, I wasn't as young as eight, I was probably like, you know, 15 or 16. And I was mm -hmm. always curious about, you know, metaphysical things and, you know, did a lot of reading. And I managed to get myself in such uh, a deep meditative state. I was practicing meditation and, and I wanted to astral travel. And I actually felt myself like pop out of my body. And, mm -hmm. But I was so freaked out when it actually, when it happened because I didn't think it was possible. I like, I popped back in, but I remember that feeling kind of of lifting out. And then it took me years to, you know, later on to talk to people about it and really understand what was going on. But who was that teacher for you that that helped you on the path? Well, it's an interesting question, and I would answer it two different ways. On one level, I would say every human being I've ever encountered has been my teacher in one way or another, and I say that rather humbly. Um, but in terms of my specific teachers, when I was a child, um, there was an impulse within me to do certain things that I didn't know why I was doing it, but it had such an insurmountable sense of 
direction and clarity and love that matched the vibration of what I felt when I went to heaven when I was a kid, that every time I received this silent instruction, almost like a gravitational pull that just said, go here, look at this, study this, not why, just study this for some future moment. And because that gravity silently always felt so loving, it was my instinct to just observe everything in my life. And as I would watch my parents argue, or I'd watch, you know, feelings erupt, I would just watch. And I was, I was trained in a very telepathic way to study the patterning of reality, to study my patterning. And oh, when this happens, that's why I do this. And it was a lifelong thing. And it wasn't until I was a young adult in my early 20s, where the guides that have always guided me telepathically began speaking to me in the bedroom of my of my of my room in my parents' house. And I began this dialogue with ascended masters and archangels who have always walked around me. I've always seen in my peripheral vision this team of guides always with me. That's just a part of my intuitive gift to be able to see, hear, and feel other realms of reality. And then I began this direct dialogue with all these different masters, Archangel Michael and Melchizedek and Metatron and Kuan Yin and Jesus, who goes by so many names, uh, Mother Mary and um, the Buddha, and, and about 30 some odd different guides I've worked with over time who have helped teach me about the laws of the universe from various dimensional perspectives. Because part of my role is to redefine the way spirituality and healing and transformation unfolds on this planet. So to come from the purity of love instead of from a state of fear or division. And so what's interesting is when I was a kid, I would have all these impulses to just watch things or study things, or as much as I hate to see my parents argue, just watch for a second and notice. And I've always had this curiosity and I've always had this sense that there's a reason I'm seeing this and it's like my mind is recording it through my eyes and I've just always been the observer of things and I've always had a very intrinsic sense that there's a reason I'm seeing this and I'm going to study it, I'm going to learn from it and it's somehow going to bring out something better in me and and for some reason I've never in my life had this sense of trying to figure out how to make things different. It's just there's a reason I'm seeing this. I'm going to record it. I'm going to watch it. And there's something that's going to be derived from this. And of course, that kind of surrender is, has become a cornerstone of, of so many of my teachings. But it, was, it wasn't something that you were afraid of, though. You said you always felt love around those messages but there wasn't like a person or a, you know a teacher on on this realm like a, no. a human person <laughs> no <laughs> human teacher per se it. that walked me through step by step and it wasn't as if i never felt fear it was that the love of the garden of heaven was always walking with me while i felt fear so i was a child <clears throat> who was so empathically sensitive I was nearly afraid of everything, including my shadow and my own power. I have been through my life afraid of everything, but there's something inside of me and I cannot explain what it is. It's just an intrinsic level of consciousness I was born with that while I'm afraid, there's a part of me that is still able to notice it, to study it and to get to know it. So I wouldn't say that the love kept me out of fear. I would say the love inspired me 
to befriend and learn from fear. And, you know, it's a it's a very interesting dance because most people hear this and they think, if I'm in a state of love, I won't be afraid. And the reality is, is that we are not the love that is opposite of fear. We are the love that is here to help fear heal as we allow it to be felt and heard within ourselves. And as I was reading through the book, which I really love, there's so much great information in uh, the book I've been spending time with. Mm-hmm. Everything is here to help you. Yes. And in and in your describing your work, so would would you say that you're a channeler, or is that just kind of too, or, or not a term that you would use when you're oh, receiving? I definitely, I definitely would use channeling. I mean, I, I love that word. I you know when I first heard the word channel, there's something in there that really you know it felt like home. But but I think the difference is is that you know there's a term called trance channeling, and then there's what I call being an open channel, which a trance channel is someone who is able to put their ego aside and to let spirit speak through them that may sound like a very different frequency of voice and a different personality. And the person who's hosting that energy may not be aware of it at all, Um, a channeling of their subconscious, let's say. Um, For me, I went through this process, and I didn't understand the significance when I started it, where I didn't want to put myself aside to let it come through because I felt like there was this really interesting separation of I'm the space where consciousness comes through. And yet in my own ego, I don't have to kind of do the work because I'm holding this space. For me, I went through this very comprehensive process of having my ego fully integrated. So to become a living embodiment or an open channel of the universe. So it's not just a consciousness that flows through me when I'm on stage or when I'm doing interviews. This is the consciousness that lives within me and lives as me. And the integration is not just when we are a space in which something higher can speak through, but when we allow that consciousness to transform us so deliberately and immaculately that we actually become a living reality of that which we're channeling. So for me, just verbal, you know, word-wise, I, I call it being an open channel or an embodied channel because it's not as if Matt steps aside and something bigger comes through. Matt is a manifestation of that which is coming into this planet to reveal itself in every heart. And we are all having this revelation and awakening in one level or another, and I am just here to help accelerate this revelation for all beings as we all remember the divinity in which we all are. Right, and to be able to recognize that. I love that. Thank you for for explaining that. And in the in the book and in your work and when you're when you're receiving these messages and you say it's from the divine and that's mm-hmm. a divine presence of love that is open and accessible to all of us whether we call yes. it archangel michael or you know buddha or kuan yin or or whatever so oh, would absolutely. you would you say that agree uh- Oh, of course. You know, when I say love and divinity, (laughs) I'm speaking of universal consciousness. I'm speaking of a light that is inclusive to all beliefs, ideas, perceptions, uh, the source in which all creations uh, are manifested in and as. Um, And whether I'm I'm communing with a manifestation of that as Archangel Michael or Kuan Yin or someone else is meeting with an ancestor in their lineage or a deceased relative or it's just a guiding light that arises as um, a gut knowing 
or a moment of inspiration, any which way that we can put into words and articulate the spontaneous remembrance and recognition of miraculousness in action, synchronicity, something that is beyond the norm of what we know to be our normal operating you know, way of existing. That is the very depth of reality that has birthed us into into form. It is the very essence of our being. It is the very breath we breathe. And there isn't a being on this planet, a being that has ever existed, no matter their level of consciousness, no matter their state of conduct, that has ever been outside of that light and love or could ever venture out of the love that embraces all as one. That's such an amazing message and, and something that we really need to hear because I think a lot of times we feel that we're not we're not worthy or we're not able to have that kind of communication. Although, you know, of course, at the level that that you're doing it, I'm, you know, not everybody will be trained or, or have that kind right. of accessibility. But we do all have that ability to receive those messages and to you know be comforted and to get wisdom from that divine source that exists from all of us and you would you say that you're really just the facilitator in that to to help us along well absolutely i mean you know you have jesus who said you know you will do these things you will do these great things and more that i do i mean i'm paraphrasing brutally right. you know that that <laughs> quote but at the same no, time you good. know i am here and and if i am seen as a way shower it is only to give other people the awareness of the way showing that they can bring forward and you know in, in as much as i am contributing to this planet which i do on a daily basis relentlessly because it is my deepest passion this is a this is like this is like my sport if i was a spiritual athlete and and serving humanity is just my deepest drive and desire but it is my desire that i i i illuminate such a path that the generations that come after me um you know can blow even greater doors off the hinges and you, you know all of us in a lifetime or not, whether this is the lifetime that is preparing us to play that role or this is this is the lifetime to play that role. All of us get the opportunity as souls to step forward in leadership, whether it is the being the pillar of your community, whether it is the patriarch of your family structure, whether it is the one leading meditation at a community center, whether it is the person teaching loving kindness in the prison system, or whatever it is, all of us will have an opportunity to step forward. And of course, what's amazing about this time in history is that so many people are feeling the call that now is my time to step forward and to lead. And when we all step forward to lead at once, that's when humanity comes together and the community of heart-centered consciousness demands the change that brings heaven on earth into form as miraculous on a physical level as it exists in the ethers. So this is a really incredible time where so many are saying, this is my time, and we're all looking around and we're all saying that. So we are all fearless leaders of a new paradigm of consciousness leading each other forward as one eternal soul co-creating heaven on earth. And this is really when it's all happening. It really is incredible. You know, what's going on when you take 
first kind of the slamming on of the brakes of everything with COVID and all of us being, you know, forced to kind of sit back and, and get quiet, even though yeah. we've been taught and heard from teachers for years that that's one of the main things we should do is try to get quiet and listen. Then we were kind of forced to. And then all of these other events kind of taking place, it really is pushing us into such an incredible space for transformation. And one of the first things that really struck me as, as I was reading through the book, which I hope that people pick up and, and really start taking those steps, um, which, which you're challenging us to do on the path of transformation. Um, but one of the things that you said in the beginning of the book, the way that you offer ways to move in this direction is to shift out of our egos and into the illuminated presence of our souls. You know, just really making that distinction between ego and soul. And what I thought was so great, and I went, yes, when I read this, um, when you describe the three activities of the ego as the acronym of war, worry, anticipate, regret. And I thought yes. about that. I'm like, wow, that is just such a great you know, really succinct definition of what our ego spends most of the time doing. And I thought to myself, how, how often am I doing this? A lot. <laughs> sure. You know, I'm spending a lot of my time in worry, a lot of my time anticipating what the hell is going to happen because I don't know. <laughs> and then looking back in regret of things that I wish that I should have done to put myself in a better position than I am now or where I think I should be now. But you keep saying in the book that we're, we're where we should be. Well, well so absolutely. And I, and I think what's yeah. interesting just to kind of offer a new paradigm reframe um, to this path. So yes, it's at, when we are asleep in ego, identifying with the ego versus identifying with the light of our soul, our, most of our time is spent either worrying, anticipating, and regretting. And then a lot of, obviously, a lot of people that know my teachings know everything is about self-love and loving ourselves as a way of transforming the planet. <clears throat> but it's not love instead of worry, anticipate, and regret. If we put these together, what it really is, is when we worry, can we notice that it is like an alarm clock reminding us that we are the ones that need our love the most in that moment, and worry is just the alarm trying to capture our attention when we anticipate. Can we notice that anticipation is another way of saying, I need my own love the most. When I regret, it's another way of recognizing when I need my love the most. And because we are interconnected as one, every time I am answering any worry, anticipation, and regret with the gift of self-love through my own heart, because my heart and your heart, our hearts, are the center of the universe. Through the heart that we love, all things are transformed. So when people look out in the world and go, how am I going to make a difference on the planet? We simply look at our, and of course now in this current stage, we are looking at global issues and we are certainly opening our eyes to greater levels of tolerance and changing policies for equality for all and eliminating racial tension. And there's a lot of things we need to do on a, on a socioeconomical level. But each and every day in between all of those big steps we make on a societal level, every time you worry, anticipate, and regret, it is your ego playing the best role of telling you this is the moment you both need your love the most 
And the reason why you need love in this moment is because the humanity you are helping to transform with your love is begging for the remembrance of the universe, to remember the light of God, to remember the revelation of truth. And we as light workers are interpreting those desires and prayer requests as the worry, anticipation, and regret of our ego. And when we meet that war with love, we are both transforming ourselves and uplifting the circumstances of the world together as one. There's so many great acronyms in this book. <laughs> you mm-hmm. really did. You did a great job of, you know, breaking that down and distilling it to where it, it really makes sense because I immediately started looking at my own, uh, my own behaviors. And I think that's where people kind of get frozen is that they think that a lot of times it has things have to be a big grand gesture or giant immediate personal change when I think really it it starts with looking at yourself and and what small things can I do you know step by step Mm -hmm. as you know as we're moving forward Uh, I think sometimes people think well I should be you know let me go out and volunteer a a million hours which would be great if if you could really you know do that and and not you know, have life and other things get in the way. So I love how you really broke that down. We're going to take a break in uh, just a couple of minutes, and uh, maybe we'll get some people uh, rolling in that happen to be spinning out there in the cosmos and the ethers that stumble across this show, since I am doing a live radio show right now. So we might get some people calling in, 816-251-3555, if you'd like to join the conversation. I'm talking with Matt Kahn about his book, Everything is Here to Help You, Finding the Gifts in Life's Greatest Challenges, and some other things too, like who, who knows where the conversation will go. Um, I also, <laughs> it could go anywhere. You know, I also want to ask you a little bit um, about your new book too. We could talk about mm-hmm. that um, a little bit later on in the show. So while we've got about two minutes left here, um, just real quick, you said that the kind of the antidote to war is raw. R-A-W, that acronym, respect, acknowledgement, and welcoming. And welcoming being like accepting life on its terms, something that, you know, if if you're not accepting what's going on right now and kind of, kind of dealing with it, you're going to be in a lot of pain, right? Well, yeah, I would say that, um, ex, you know, acceptance is a very interesting word because a lot of people say think of acceptance like forgiveness as something I should do, but I feel guilty when I don't know how to do it or I can't do it. So I think when you think of the word welcoming, which is the first part of raw or part of raw, I know we have to take a break. When we come back. I can probably unpack this more. But when we think of welcoming. <laughs> yeah, def- I definitely want to. It's less about acceptance. That will come later. It's about making friends with the parts of ourselves that feel different and are not acting in the way that we need them to act. So it's about befriending the most obstinate parts of ourselves so that the deepest pain can have companionship and feel honored through its experience and all that it wishes to share with us. And so it's actually a very deep process. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. We'll just take a short break. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Diane Ray talking with Matt Kahn on unityonlineradio.org. Thanks for listening. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. 
Thanks for coming back after the break. I'm Diane Ray, just talking to Matt Kahn today and having a, an amazing conversation. There's there's so many places we could go because he's such a, an incredible teacher and is just so well-versed in a million different topics. Um, I've been spending a lot of time with his book, Everything is Here to Help You, Finding the Gifts and Life's Greatest Challenges. Just so perfect that it kind of landed in my lap at this time. So I've really been enjoying reading it and uh, spending some time this week. Um, finding out what Matt is all about. And we were talking a little bit uh, before the break, kind of getting into the differences between ego and soul, how those two kind of butt their heads up against each other. And before the break, we were, talk- we were talking about, you had the acronym RAW, R-A-W, respect, acknowledgement, and welcome um, as a way to to kind of work through some of this stuff. And you were talking about welcoming and accepting life on its terms. And I just wanted to give you the chance to finish on on that thought. Well, yeah, and, and with respect to our current times, when we say the word acceptance, it doesn't mean we accept injustices and we accept brutality and we accept that certain people of different races or minorities are treated treated differently than others are that's not what we accept what we accept is that everything is a vital catalyst to our own soul's evolution and of course as we cultivate greater awareness and spiritual consciousness the way in which we embody that consciousness is by co-creating a world of greater social justice that provides equality for all beings. So I just, before I unpack this, I just want to say, I am not suggesting that we just passively accept what happens and don't use it as an opportunity to come together and voice and, and demand the change that so many throughout history uh, wholeheartedly deserve. I just want to say that. But when we think of respect, acknowledge, and welcome. When I channel this, it's because I often think about things like acceptance or forgiveness or love. You know, there's so many things in the spiritual path or in self-help that people say, I should do, I should accept, I should forgive, I should love myself, I should go to the gym more often. All these I shoulds. And we basically have this list of things we should do we figure, we, you know, there's a reason why we don't wind up doing it, and we steep in greater self-judgment and inferiority as a result. So when we think of the ego operating in war, or anticipation and regret, we look at how do we accept the ego? How do we ex- how do we forgive? How do we how do we love? And so the acronym of Ra, we, you know, all of this begins with respecting that which is arising in ourself, acknowledging that which is arising within ourself, welcoming, which is a form of befriending that which is in ourself. And so what we find is when we befriend our egos and we give it the respect and acknowledgement and welcoming that it's begging for, we start to unravel the war within ourselves. And of course, raw and war is, you know, same word backwards. Um, and it's a play on words to show us that raw is a symbol for the vulnerability of an open, pure heart, and that we are taking the war that each of us are carrying in our hearts, and we're resolving it with the respect, acknowledgement, and welcoming it that it demands, so that as these inner wars are brought to rest inside of our bodies, we then become the transformed beings who then have the ability to enact the type of social justice and global change 
policy changing, and all of that which we are demanding so that the entire world can feel respected, acknowledged, and welcomed as we have taken the time to heal within ourselves. And a lot of us may be waking up to that fact, you know, and that process that has to take place. And I think it's so interesting. Like, I love seeing this transformation in people and when they really become aware of themselves and and what's going on. And I think that the study of the ego is, is just so fascinating. And I love how you really delve into it in the book. And I also like the, the work that you do on recognizing and dealing with people's beliefs and patterns of behavior and judgments. Mm. And I was uh, reading um, back in 2006, there was a series of experiments a psychologist at Princeton did, and they discovered that all it takes is a tenth of a second to form an impression of someone just by looking at them. Mm. And that even longer exposure to that person, person doesn't really alter that impression that much. I thought, wow, you know, how, how does that unconsciously take effect, you know, and then over the years form unconscious beliefs and judgments that we have, you know, on, on people and, and races and, and people that are different from ourselves. And it just the, the kind of, it's kind of blew me away. And I was, I was wondering what you thought about that. Like when you, when you teach people to work on mm-hmm. their judgments and their beliefs and their patterns of behavior, how, how do you start with that? Well, I think what's different is that over the time in the old spiritual paradigm, the old spiritual paradigm says, here's a different way to see something, which is a very helpful standpoint, of course. But what I like to start with, instead of here's a better way to see it, let's first come to terms and be honest about how we actually see. So, for example, when we do a study at Princeton and they say it takes a tenth of a second to form an opinion about someone, it's because all of us are carrying in our cellular body, by and large, a certain, percent- a certain percentage of density from our family lineages, from the history of past incarnations, that we have incarnated as souls to carry in our body to heal and transform, because as we heal ourselves, we are clearing those lineages, lightening the density of the planet, and helping Mother Earth ascend into the fifth dimension. And so basically, when we're all walking around with cellular bodies wired and encoded with these atrocities of the past, we are basically asking anyone and everyone we come into contact with to remind us instantaneously of that which we haven't felt and processed and healed in ourselves. And so the formulation of a judgment or a bias or a projection of judgment is projecting onto someone else what their light is bringing up in us to be healed. And the more conscious we become, the more we realize other people are bringing up in us what is already there to be healed versus the idea that if it wasn't for that person, I wouldn't be feeling that way, which of course is the battle cry of victim consciousness. So in a lot of the ways that I guide and teach people, it's not just, oh my God, I'm so ashamed of how I see this. Please give me a better spiritual way to kind of put on top of this so I can feel better about myself, you know, which I appreciate on a certain level. But really this work is about let me come to terms with how honestly I see people, how I see myself, 
let me come to terms with how that influences my behavior. How often am I acting from a place of self-love or self-destruction? How is this assisting in the maintenance of addictions based on how much guilt and shame I carry? And can I, in my deepest honesty, start to see that if I could just be honest about my pain, honest about my worries, honest about my fear of other people, maybe even honest about how afraid I am of my own power. If we can be honest about the way in which we are, that becomes the place in which we can transform and become better. But we can't become better versions of ourselves until we're willing to be honest about how we are, even if the way in which we are is in opposition to what we know to be our highest level of morality. It really takes a radical level of honesty. And of course, to prepare us for that kind of honesty, only love can get us there. Right. Wow. That's, that's so true. And just, and, and making that step, you know, taking those steps to really be honest and be honest with yourself on what your deep held beliefs are, you know, what, what you've learned, what you're, you may be holding on to unconsciously is the first step to heal and moving us towards, um, you know, where you're talking about in the book, we are one to recognize that, to recognize that oneness. And that's really a challenge. Um, I think, you know, for everybody, for a lot of people, because you hear that term and sometimes it can be kind of a throwaway or, or kind of of trite in a way, right? Like, oh, we are one. And you think, <laughs> really? Oh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not anything like that, you know, or I'm not like that other person. Sure, so, sure, of and, course. I mean, I'm, that's the, I'm, that's the we're, challenge, we're, right? Yeah, we're, we're all one, just not of this, you know, just not with that person or we're all one, but not under these circumstances. And, right. you know, I think what's interesting is that the ego is always desiring appearing in its most redeeming form. And I think what's interesting is that which is always trying to appear in its most redeeming, shiniest form is actually that which on the deepest level is begging to be redeemed. And how do we get redeemed? How do we get pardoned? How do we get reborn as the light of purity that we are? But by saying, as much as I want to appear as the greatest, most capable version of myself, it is the power of my vulnerability to say, as great as I hope to become and as amazing as I hope other people see me to be, here's the truth that I cannot bear holding within me anymore, which is why they say the truth shall set us free. So we love ourselves relentlessly by respecting, acknowledging, and welcoming what arises to be able to have the self-worth, to have the courage to be honest, to be that which is redeemed by the light of the universe, not just a character that is trying to be all things to all people, hoping to appear in its most redeeming and often superficial form. Right. And really going back to what you were talking about of, of the radical honesty, I think that I think that's so interesting. And when you mention light, you know, going going into the light or becoming the light and, and you had mentioned light worker. Um, are you familiar with uh, a fellow Hay House author, Alberto Violdo? I, I know of him, but not familiar with his work. I know he does a lot of shamanic work. I, I'm not familiar. I know of him. Well, he he had just written about. Um, his belief in that he feels we are evolving to become what he calls homo luminous. And I, I always loved that, the visual that I get when I think of that. I think of the uh, the beings in Cocoon. Remember that movie? They were, yes. they were homo luminous, I guess, in yeah. a way. I mean, but do you, so do you feel that we 
the, the light that we carry within us, or when you talk about light work, or are you talking about like the, the energy that we all carry within us, that source, uh, the light that makes us who we are? I guess, what, what do you, do you think of when you describe light? Well, of course, you know, I, I think of, you know, when I say light, I mean the, the, the essence or force through which all creation is expressed and that which expresses all creation is that which is equally dwelling within each creation. So within the experience of every creation, person, place, or thing is the holy creator that created it, which is you, which is me, which is I, which is we. But the ego that would hear that says, if I'm the creator, then I get to call the shots. So there is a, there, we are the creators of our reality, but the ego that wishes to figure out how to control and micromanage it is not that creator. And so, and I, and I, and I honor what Alberto was saying about we are becoming homo luminous and sort of an evolutionary trajectory. The way that I would describe my direct experience of what I see in the world and in myself is that we are already, we have always been luminous. It is just that which is always illuminated is beginning to become self-aware of its own illuminated presence. So this entire world is a manifestation of the highest dimension of illuminated presence. And we as expressions of that creator, we as expressions of that which has been created, are, are over time recognizing and becoming self-aware and self-actualized as living expressions of the illumination that has always been here, will always be here, and was ever present prior to creation ever beginning and even beyond the aftermath of its ending. And the more aware that we become, then I think we're able to see it more often. I mean, I, I totally agree with you and understand what you're saying with it's always been here. Like you mm -hmm. see glimpses of it at, at the birth of a baby or even someone leaving this world, you know, when someone passes and they say, you know, the light has left, you, you can see it in a, in a tangible way. Um, well, so yeah, I, I and, and I think a great analogy to give people to really make this more tangible is let's say the light of revelation I'm speaking of, the awakening of consciousness, the recognition that you are the creator, that you are illuminated presence of the universe. Let's say that's the movie screen. And let's say you spent your whole life watching so many movies sitting in the theater at the movie screen that you've been so mesmerized by the details of the characters and the storylines in every movie that as soon as one movie ends, another one begins. And you've just been spending your whole life watching movie after movie. And you are a movie buff and can talk about all the different characters and the history of Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all of these things, the trilogies and all these things. And then one time in the theater, there's this space before the next movie begins. And it's almost as if for the first time, you're not seeing the next character of the next scene, you're just seeing the screen blank. And you go, wow, I never have seen the screen as it is. And yet that screen has been in the theater all along. It's been the space in which all of the movies have been projected on, and you were just meant to watch movie after movie. The screen was always there to be recognized. It just wasn't time for there to be space for you to see the screen until that moment of revelation. And then after, and then after that point, 
more movies come and more space occurs between movies until eventually the next movie doesn't appear on the screen and you just rest staring at the blank screen and instead of watching what's being projected onto the screen, you partner up with the truth and power of the screen to be able to decide what you wish to put upon it as an expression of beauty that you are creating for the benefit of all. I like that. That's a that's a cool way of looking at it. <laughs> and I'm a movie buff, so that totally makes it totally makes sense to me. So, do you really feel that we're all we have all come here for a reason? Like we we all have a destiny to fulfill. There's a reason. Most definitely. We all do have a reason and we are all going to realize that reason when it's time for us to realize that. And what's interesting is that the reason why someone is in your life may different from the reason why you're in their life. And so all of us have a reason, but it's amazing that we are all acting out the multiplicity of infinite reason that, you know, in one person's life, I may be a brother. Like I have a sister and I'm her brother and I may be a son to my mother and father and to millions of people around the world. I may be a, uh, I may be a healer, a way shower, a light worker, a spiritual teacher. And to some people I may be a best friend or a neighbor, you know, and it's interesting that, and then we get into the, the dimension of relationships and, you know, one day you're the most popular person with your children and the next day you're their mortal enemy. And one day you're the, you know, you're the soulmate of someone and the next day you're someone else's ex. And so I think it's interesting that we think of life purpose we can't just limit life purpose to how everything is for us but humbly being able to see that we are all here to interact and participate in being so many things to so many people and i think what really matters in the name of self-worth and spiritual growth and human evolution is taking time out of our life and really defining spiritual growth and practice as above and beyond all the things i am to other people or what people insist me to be or who i think i am in their life taking time to get to know yourself on a heart-centered level and asking yourself the question who am i to myself when there's no one else to be around, when there's no one else to inspire, change, fix, or affect. Who am I to me? And that's where we start to find coming home to ourselves, self-love, self-nurturance. And instead of waiting for other people to give us what we insist and demand and to give us what maybe other people from our past had failed to provide, I call leading our own love revolution to begin giving ourselves the respect, acknowledgement, welcoming, self-love, tenderness, attention, and affection that allows us to be all of the things the past could never provide. And it really starts there. That That's so true. If you, if you don't have that, you're really dealing on a, a shaky foundation. And it, I guess it could take years really to get to that point where you really feel, you know, that love and, and acceptance just for yourself, you know, and let going, letting go of that kind of judgment of yourself. So would you feel that, do you feel like you're an old soul? I'm sure you've heard that term. <laughs> you think you've, you've come around many times? You know, what's interesting. I'm going to give you a really interesting answer because I'm going to give you an answer based on you know, obviously the truth of my direct experience. And it's nothing that I 
ever imagined. So there was a part of my journey where I remembered all my past lives. And I can tell you about being a Tibetan monk, and I can tell you about being a psychologist, and I can tell you about this and that, and my, my experiences in the Holocaust and all these things. And I can tell you that this with grim detail. And then there was another realization I had just about a year and a half ago, where it said all of those past lives you had were totally true, but they were implanted into your consciousness to help you understand people's experiences who have incarnated so many times and to understand the process of humanity's healing. But in fact, you are experiencing your, for your first human incarnation. And it was the realization that what I thought were my past lives were the experiences in my cellular body that I was carrying as wisdom and moments of healing needing to be healed that helped me understand the human experience, that helped me understand what it's like to be a human who is a soul incarnating several, several infinite times. But in fact, for me, what has always been home has always been somewhere in the stars. And when I was told that this was my first incarnation and that my past lives were implanted to help me adjust and acclimate and to resonate in this dimension so that I understand how to help and reach people from a place of love, kindness, and compassion, it was one of the greatest reliefs of my life, not because I have an aversion to incarnation or any particular role, but because it actually just felt like the truest remembrance of home. So for me, as much as I have always been someone who spontaneously says amazing things and I was called a wise soul my whole life, I have actually had the revelation that this is actually my first incarnation and I'm here on a mission to assist in this Earth's evolution for how it affects the time-space continuum of the future. That is amazing. <laughs> I love that answer. That's yeah. definitely the most original answer um, I've heard and, and honest too, because yeah. I, I really think, I believe that, um, you know, there are other other realms and, and dimensions and probably, you know, universes and galaxies and all of those things to experience. So yeah, that that's really, that's really interesting. Um, and I've done a little exploration of what I thought were some lives. I mean, I, I think that maybe I've, I've definitely been around and around a few yeah. times as, as a, a man and a woman in, in different, mm -hmm. you know, different forms of that. And I do think you kind of, you do hold on to some of those things. And I, I think cellular memory is, is a real thing, you know, Oh yeah, <laughs> it def, definitely is. <laughs> and yeah. people experience it and don't even know it, you know, don't know what it is. Well, of course, because, you know, people don't recognize cellular memory because they've been interpreted into um, conclusions, judgments that we have about things in view. I mean, the things in view are just trying to help us bring up the things that are stored inside of our cellular body. And so people go, oh, I don't remember my past lives. And I go, well, well tell me who tell me who it's hard for you to forgive. You know, tell tell me oh, the deepest pain that has happened to you that is hard for you to deal with, you know, and that's where we start to really unpack this and it's 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 a very quantum revelation everything that we feel is has absolute validity and you know as we all evolve we start to really piece together that there's so much more going on and yet everything that's happening in the minutia of our personal lives has actually such a higher meaning that all of it truly deserves our highest 
reverence and deepest level of respect, which is the only way in which love would ever move through time and space. It's been so cool to talk with you uh, this this past hour. I had so much, so many more questions <laughs> I wanted to ask you, and we're not going to have enough time. I'll have to have uh-huh. you come back. We just have about uh, three minutes left of the show today. But I did want to ask just real quick, uh, you know, now that I'm, I've read through uh, this book, Everything is Here to Help You, I am definitely looking forward to reading the new book, The Universe Always Has a Plan. So could you give me like a sneak preview of of what I can expect in that one? It is the most honest. And and again, when I say honest, I mean deepest personal sharing, vulnerable, gut-wrenching, um, revealing, direct. It, it is, it is um, as I wrote it, I felt like I was capturing lightning in a bottle uh, that the universe was sending through me. And I knew that I was writing an open letter to all of humanity. I had no idea that it would be coming out at the most crucial time when humanity needs to take this pivotal shift in awakening the most. But it is literally some of the most groundbreaking work I've ever done to unravel the superstitious facade of an old spiritual paradigm, which helped us get to this point, but we lay it to rest. So to create a new spiritual paradigm, a new reality that is for the equality and acceptance and inclusion of all. And I cannot put into words how incredible this new book I wrote is. I am most proud of this book to the degree that after I wrote this book, I sat back and I thought, well, what do I do next? And that's how I like to present every teaching. That's how I like to do every video. That's how I like to do everything I do when I write, is I write as if I'm going to give it all so that the universe can then bring me the next evolution from that point forward. So I can't even tell you how much I, I, how, how much I love this book and the reaction and response to this book has been extraordinary. And I'm just grateful and thankful that people have it as a resource during this most crucial time in history. Well, I'm anxious to read it. I'm looking forward to it. The universe always has a plan. So I urge you out there to pick it up. And Matt, you're all over the place. If people haven't seen you on your YouTube channel, definitely check that out. You're on Facebook, Instagram. So see what Matt's doing. You're a great voice out there. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you're out there and you're teaching. We need you now more than ever. And thank you so much for spending some time with us. I've been talking with Matt Kahn. Find him out there. He's an amazing teacher. And thanks for listening today. I'm Diane Ray. I'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.